Uh, David, today is a very special day for me because we we have brought lunch to the to the to the mountain. <laughs> we we came to Nashville today, and we are sitting in East Iris Studios with my friend, the great T Bone Burnett. And this is a dream for me because I am literally a original fanboy of Evo and Burnett. <laughs> I just confirmed that I wasn't imagining it like the first time we met. I've gotten to work with him a number of times, but yeah. I was literally a fan who waited outside the stage door in England at a club called Dingwall. So we'll we'll talk about all of that. Dingwalls. Let's spill the beans, chew the fat, food for thought, and jokes on tap. Talking with our mouths full, having fun. Piece of cake and humble pie Serving up a slice of life Leave the dressing on the side It's naked lunch Clothing optional Dingwalls because if I'm not mistaken, Dingwalls was this place I sang. I did an encore of You Are My Sunshine and the whole audience started singing like it was a soccer game or something. I was stunned that an audience in England would know You Are My Sunshine. It turned out it had been on a TV show about a soccer game or something. But at any rate, it was a, I I remember that moment because it was a, you are my sunshine. That was just a weird but thing to play don't in the you first think, place. I mean, I, I love asking you questions like this. Don't you think You Are My Sunshine is in the top 10 songs of all time? I think, <clears throat> you know, it. it's a song, it's a song that, it's a, it is a universal song. Yes. First of all, the, the most prevalent word in hit songs in mass culture songs is you oh and when the audience hears the word you even though the songwriter is writing to an imaginary you or a uh-huh. specific you but it's certainly not the you in the audience the the semiotics whatever it is the the audience member still hears it as you and still is relating to it even though he knows it's not there's a part of the audience that hears it as you is relating to it as this is the way this person's dealing with me. The, I, as I understand it, the most prolific copyright in history is "She Loves You." Huh. <clears throat> it's hard to hard to find three more, uh, three larger words than "She Loves You." I would say "You Are My Sunshine." Yes, would be four maybe larger words because you have "You Other," yes, our existence, my self yes. identity yes and sunshine light yes you know, it's, it's it's just as big a big a concept i think as you can get so how yes, old is that song the, i think the governor of uh louisiana jimmy davis was that his name wrote it in what? probably the 30s yeah he I was thought, a politician. First of all, I thought it was even older than that, and it's yeah. shocking that a politician could <laughs> yeah. write something but, so beautiful. But in every genre, every generation, yeah. there's some version. Like, for me, yeah. like it was Stevie Wonder, You Are the Sunshine of My That's Life. Right. There it is. And yeah. right. that 
destroyed me and it yes. was like it made me understand romantic love and yes. love in a way i was too young to understand it but yeah. you you feel it and but, what a beautiful expression of that stevie wonder i mean stevie yes. wonder put this beautiful vibe out all over the whole world with that song yes well uh, the listeners haven't heard this yet but you just played us something that's pretty damn close Mm. that's so beautiful very kind of you well that's the that's i'm gonna spend the rest of my life doing that as much as i can putting out a a good vibe <laughs> that's nice though yeah, did yeah. something happen in your life that brought about this uh as you described it a change from cynicism to to positivity well everything happened <laughs> <laughs> you've you had know? a good life yeah that yes that i mean I've become more and more grateful with every passing day for everything. I mean, when I started when I was a kid in Fort Worth, Texas, I thought if I could ever make a record and get it reviewed in Rolling Stone, that would be like as far as it, I couldn't think past that, you know? Yeah. For, and um, the, I mean, the things that, the, the places music has taken me is extraordinary, you know, and I I can only be grateful. Every band I've ever been in, I've been the worst person in the band. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but somehow I've stumbled along, and I've been. By the way, that's well, a that's a key that's a key to success. I think. I think it always is. try and, to be the worst guy in the room because you'll learn a lot. Yeah, and if you, if, I always knew that if I was the best guy in the band, then I was in trouble. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? Surround yourself well, with. By good, the way, yeah. so early in your career, you were plucked into maybe the most interesting band, <laughs> big band in music history. I've never. I've always wondered, just emotionally. Not everybody knows what that is. I will say, yeah, okay. It was, you were this kid from Texas yeah. who had made some records and was producing some stuff, uh -huh. but you end up very quickly in the Rolling Thunder review with Bob Dylan, who is pretty much the best of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he uh, he is. I think it's safe to say he's uh, the homer of our times, and this is as... as civilization advances homer took two or three hundred years to put together bob's done it in 60 all by himself you know not bad yeah he's 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 amazing of course but yeah <clears throat> and that was a time when he was it was the rolling thunder review was a very interesting experience because bob dylan had been in the country for five years he had yeah. he he had been really the biggest star in the world yep and he just shut it down completely. And he went to the country and he started writing songs. He's actually doing the thing I'm doing now, which is just writing songs all the time. But, He's you know, ripping you off again. Yeah, yeah I, I'm ripping him <laughs> off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Is, but, yeah, go but, ahead. Uh, but uh, he, in, in 1975, he came back to the city, came back to Greenwich Village, and it had changed completely. Whereas Washington Square Park had been like, you know, a hundred different kind of music, folk music, bluegrass, uh, island music, all happening in this little park downtown. Yeah, and it was very much a folk scene. Now, is now you know, punk rock had happened, and it was television and Patti Smith and and uh, you know the, all, that whole that whole uh, group of people, Richard Hell and the Voidioids, and and he absorbed all of that as he always does. He got he caught that energy from all of that. 
and infused all of his music with that and infused his performance with that with this punk serious punk rock energy and and i i've i would say if when people would you know i hear people talk about the rolling thunder view i don't think anybody's ever understood it and but i think it is the first large-scale punk rock tour and and i think dylan once again opened another door in the culture to punk rock and and in his wake look what happened the clash elvis costello yeah. the sex Pistols, all of that happened right in the wake of the rolling thunder view i don't think people have connected that did the documentary uh uh get it right no i don't think so you mean they also uh, made up stuff for fun right uh, yeah i mean that was just i don't know what that they were was fooling around yeah it had very little to do with the actual with, the, with reality can i tell yeah. you the amazing weird story is that i don't know Bob Dylan like you know him, but I had written liner notes for one project for him. And after 9-11, I got a call from him and he asked me to brainstorm a treatment for a project. And it was, I don't want to reveal too much, but it was a fake history. It was taking real events and then inserting right. sort of like a, a and, and when I saw the Rolling Thunder doc, I was like, because yeah. it was always like, okay, did Scorsese do this without him? Or no, what? Bob, and it's like, yeah. I, I don't think anything could ever be done without Bob having a point of view. And I think that was something. Is it just his sense of humor that he wants to screw with it's us? All, no, I don't. I don't think he's screwing with us at all. I think he's revealing things to us. But because because I mean, all all but of when his you art, make up stuff all that of didn't his, happen but all of his art is like that all, yeah. you know if you look at his paintings there he'll do a magazine cover and put all different headlines in it and stuff like that he's always been a collage artist in one uh -huh. in one respect yeah who's taken different things and put them together to put them in a different perspective i don't think he's i don't think he's uh well look he is a he is a he's a trickster that's to be sure that's what comes across. I, I, you know, it. I named my firstborn after him, so hey. you, I'm, I sincerely, he's my hero. Yeah. I will say he invented himself. I mean, right. many it, times. How does, how does a guy named Bobby Zimmerman... Right, right. And he is Bob Dylan. He's, he's his own greatest creation, and there's a lot of them. And I do believe the voice he's in now is the strongest, best, most powerful voice of his life and he's 81 years old or Amazing. something like that is there is so there a, absolutely true is he, there a story from those times that exemplifies it the, uh, in a way that the times? yeah that in a way that the doc didn't get like what was well, the reality well no i think the doc you <clears throat> see you see bob and patty in the documentary yes yeah. you see their relationship so that's the, the documentary got that part of it right, but uh -huh. the documentary was another thing. It was Bob playing with ideas of the past and and the way the the way the present becomes mutable in in the current uh, information environment where where all information is rendered disinformation. You know, we're in a <clears throat> we're all going to have to start learning to talk to AI now. You see. <clears throat> We're all going to be talking to it a lot. You know those calls that are people in India or on the other line. Yeah. Well, it's going to be AI, and right, and we're going to have to know how to right because they're going to have the advantage on us because they all of our data that they've collected on every one of us yeah. is, is is being loaded into AI now. So they're going to know a tremendous amount of, about us when we go to them and say whatever we say yes they're gonna know 
this, you did this, and you went here. And well, doesn't your phone already know that and have ads targeted to? They're listening right now. now. Of course, yeah, no, yeah. of course. That's this has been going on for a long time. Yes, the di the difference is well. Here's here's a graphic, uh, a, a graphic version of what it is. Getty Images is suing Google now because Google has taken Getty Images' whole catalog. Yeah, that Getty Images paid good money for right right and they right. put together this big catalog and it's all watermarked it Excuse says me. getty images on yeah. every image yeah okay so google took all of that data yeah. stripped it of all metadata so it's not watermarked loaded it into their ai and now their ai is going to be spitting it back out in, in a billion different ways without attribution without copyright without they're just well, so theft Okay, so what happened in the music industry yeah. in the late 1990s? Yeah. The technologists did exactly that to the musicians. You know, they stole our stuff. I think people are finally going to wake up to what happened. Is Our stuff was literally stolen from us, stripped of all our connection to it, of royalties and everything else. You mean when, and credits when, and everything? Everything. So you're talking about streaming services... Early, I'm talking about. It started with Napster, okay. but the whole, but the whole thing, it it, it was the whole culture, it was the right. whole Silicon Valley. Right. The who's going to stop us? You know, it's not who's going to let us, it's who's going to stop us. That's the code up there, and nobody stopped them. And you know, they were able to astro. See, now people have realized, oh, they can generate a billion emails with the push of a button. Yep. So they don't take that stuff seriously anymore. Back then, in the late '90s, they took everybody freaked out because a few people astroturfed millions and millions of emails to the Congress, etc. Yeah. And they manipulated the whole country down this road of we're going to take everything of, of yours. Yeah. All of your personal data, everything, your medical records. They they have uh, technology now with your phone that can measure that can tell if you have congestive heart failure if you're about to have an event they have they're able to measure your finger on the on the glass of the phone if if there's a tremor they can they can detect early parkinson's for instance and will sell that information to your insurance company that's what's going on oh that's what's actually going on it's been going on for a long time and there's been a group of us who've been fighting this for a long time, Jaron Lanier is one, Shoshana Zuboff is one, Roger McNamee, Tristan Harris, John, John uh, Taplin. There's a, there's a strong group of people who are in the resistance to the surveillance capitalists who are stripping us of all of, all of our rights of privacy. They're, strip, they're stripping us of all of our rights because, they're, because, they, because they figured out they could, because we kept letting them do it. Welcome to the end of everything, T-Bone Burnett. How did how did you you know? So this why is, am this I is so absolute, positive? Exactly, is my question. you knew where I was going. Exactly. Yeah, what do you got to be positive about, or is this a form of resistance? No, it's all it's the cat's out of the bag now. You know, I I've been. It's this started in the in the in mid eighties. We started talking about this when CDs came out. Yeah. They were already a disaster to people who, like, I, 
And I'll get I'll answer please, that. Please. I'll no, get back to that question. But I remember the first Alan Sides and I, who is one of the, is a master of high fidelity, studied with Bill Putnam, who's the father of high fidelity, really. Okay. So this is you know I'm very we're close to the source here of the absolute peak of recorded sound and and when when it when it really became an art. Uh, in the 1940s and 50s, you know, when tape came in, a lot things, standards were set then in the late 40s that have held to this day, and will hold, will just hold because yes. they're actual standards. Right. So the first time we were told they were going to put us do a CD of this record, they sent us a videotape. A two-inch videotape. It's called a six, or maybe one-inch. I can't remember. It's called yeah. a sixteen-thirty okay. videotape, and we tra we had this beautiful tape that we had worked really hard to make punchy and clear and beautiful and high fidelity and <laughs> strong and all the things you try to do to make to make recorded music feel feel. Yeah, and <clears throat> we had to transfer it into this videotape and then they took it away and by the time the cd came back to us we put it on and listened to it and our whole and our tape had been destroyed it was so it was horrible and we went what happened we started calling and it turned out that that 1630 had gone into gone into a workstation it had gone through six workstations of people we had never met before when we had always carefully overseen every step of the whole process yeah Suddenly, there were all kinds of people just on machines making decisions about the music, and we had no idea why or what or anything. You mean the mix was different? Completely different. But it wasn't that it was remixed. It was just that digital is not able, digital technology is not able to comprehend the complexities of music. And back then, the digital technology, the converters were so bad. That you were only getting maybe twenty percent of of the sound of the sound. Yeah. So it's compressed. It's beyond compressed. It's, re it's, it's reduced to. It's emptied. Yeah, you know, it's emptied of content. It's just there. It's like pointillism. Yeah, in, you know, or a, you know, wrote a reviewer in a newspaper where if you're far enough away, it looks like a picture, but if you get close, it's just a bunch of and, dots. And more specifically, what I remember feeling is you can't feel it. Your mm -hmm. ears can't. Well, that's it. Feel it. it it's connect. about. Music's about feel, right? That's the whole. At the end of the day, underneath it all, it's all about tone and feel. That, well, that's that's, uh, that's your genius as a as a producer. You you always seem to capture whatever it is about the artist, the emotional center of the artist. Well, that's the that's the, that's yeah, everything. That is everything. Yeah. David. David. Pay attention. At all times. We're driven by the search for better, right? But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't the search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates and fast. Ditch the busy work, people. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Indeed is such a positive word. I love saying it. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 
93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Naked Lunch will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Naked Lunch. Just go to Indeed.com slash Naked Lunch right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Naked Lunch. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You, you need, need Indeed! Indeed. There's a river of love that runs through all times But there's a river of tears that flows through our eyes We fight through the night for freedom as it fades into a jail Where we fail every time we make a break I always find that whether I'm projecting an image, let's say in, in my little movie room uh -huh. and listening to sound that the clarity and the tone actually the 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 more specific detail you can hear which seems like a technicality actually brings you closer to the emotion right do you well, feel that way when you're recording <laughs> that you you you're trying to get the, the the little squeak on the string the tiniest detail yeah, well yeah sometimes it's or sometimes it's the other i don't know once yeah. again it's all back to feel right whatever feels right in that but but uh yeah i mean you try to you try to get it as just as powerful as strong as you can whatever right. that is you know i mean the sound you just played we were just in in the in the studio listening to playback and the sound in there is unbelievable yeah. what is your uh do you listen to stuff on your phone on headphones do you listen to no. i don't ever put on headphones i don't like anything that close to my ears so that's just a personal thing yeah but, well, but when you listen ears. do you are you <laughs> yeah. able to listen to everything you listen to in that setting in the studio yeah pretty much i mean i have great i, have... I mean it sounds like live Yes, right. Well, it's high fidelity. Yes. Uh, we are still an analog high fidelity shop. You know, we've remained in that camp. I, I, even though we use all the digital technology, I'm not opposed to digital technology. Yeah. I use it where it's useful, which is like in editing and, right. and moving things around here and there. That's, that stuff's really great. But, but on the front end and back end, it's heavily loaded with... You know, pianos are analog, amplifiers are analog, microphones right. are analog. Everything's analog. You store some data in there, and then you reconvert it into analog through a lot of more analog stuff that reintroduces the harmonic complexity, the harmonic distortion that makes analog sound better. The perfect imperfections. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, there's two conversations that your name came up in that I want to... One with Phil and one without. The other night, I was interviewing Bonnie Raitt at the Grammy Museum, and she brought your name up in a way that was surprising to me because she, we were talking about when she, when a, a moment in music history where, and she associated this with the conglomerates beginning to take over the music industry. She said at Warner Brothers, she, the, the famously, she 
uh, Bonnie Raitt and Van Morrison were dropped. But she said, no, they dropped. It was the same day they dropped Van Morrison, they dropped Bonnie Raitt, and they dropped you. Yeah. And I thought, A, I thought it was very nice that she mentioned you because it's <laughs> yeah. not like you had made 14 records for Warner Brothers. Right, you had made yeah. like one record that I was obsessed with and bothered you about is Bing Walls <laughs> in <laughs> London. Like, not, not that when I was a young man. But I thought, is that... Is that also your memory? Because when you talk about the digital technology, the only thing it really accomplished was allowing, that's what allowed everything to be stolen. It, yeah. Once it's, a, you know, a, but do you remember that moment when the music industry, like you were part of a sort of upstart Texas version of the music industry. And yeah, well, But we do you remember the industry sort of turning? Yeah, I do. I remember the, I remember it was, I, it became clear. I have a, a recording of me in uh, McCabe's. Somebody played me, uh, and I'm saying, you know, it's like 1987 or something like that, and I'm saying, you know, in the future, we won't have vinyl, we won't have cassettes, we won't even have CDs, we'll just have devices that will access... Uh, the satellite and music will be all broadcast on the satellite. And the great thing about that is, I said, that th that there'll be metadata on those files that will immediately send the royalties out to all the royalty participants, and there'll be a whole age of cutting out the middleman. That's what we were sold. It mm -hmm. was going to happen. The the first part happened, but the yeah. second part of the Where royalties. You get paid. No, no. Yeah, and by the way, they seem to forget because that. That's exactly what Bonnie then talked about. We had in recent weeks when they were recording this, she talked about losing David Lindley and losing some of these other great artists. And what she, what I think we sort of realized that night was those are the exact artists who in the used to make a living in the earlier era of music yeah. could get eke out a living or get a good living. But that this world where digital music and conglomerates took over, it really is. There, we, how are we going to replace a generation of great artists dying now with artists who can make a living at it's all? Really, it's very difficult. Nashville has become so expensive that all the artists are having to move out of town. You know? Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard. When this was the Mecca. Yeah. And, and it's harder and harder right. for, for... Well, this is sort of the Alamo for musicians. that People came here from everywhere. Yeah. Uh, to Music City, you know, but now it's it's not it's very it's it's changing and maybe for the better. I don't I don't know. I know that we are very much at the end of something, but I don't think it's the end of whatever you said it was earlier. Everything, everything. <laughs> yes. I told you what my friend Larry Gelbart, the the great comedy writer, said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking. We were with Norman Lear, uh -huh. and they asked me, "What's it like to pitch a show now?" And I started to describe it, and he stopped me. Larry turned to Norman. He said, "We're dying just in time." <laughs> It's kind of how I feel sometimes, well, you know, because you know, with the things you're describing, yeah, it, it's not getting better for human beings no. in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. I well, mean, I try to hold on to this positive spirit because I truly love the world yeah. and I love people and, yeah, and I too. love, you know, music and, and yeah. art and everything great in life All and food. Yeah. You, I mean, you yeah. know, yeah. so there's still things to live for. But when you tell me this AI stuff, and and people tell me that 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 robots and AI are a, maybe our biggest problem, that that jobs are being replaced, what is going to happen to human beings? 
It's a, you know, the Terminator is not Arnold Schwarzenegger coming back from the future. Right. It's literally in our damn pockets. Right. It's yeah. the phone. Right. We're half human, half phone. Okay, so <clears throat> I've been studying this since I was a kid, when I, and I've talked about this before, but I, yeah. I don't think we've talked about it. Yeah. But I had a recurring nightmare when I was a kid that I was in my Trinity Episcopal Church, which was the church I grew up in, mm -hmm. and I was lined up <clears throat> against the wall and go in a long line that went all the way around the parish hall yeah. to the far corner, and I could see two men that were dressed all in black. They were vague, they were, but they were tall and they were big and they were vague and they were replacing people's right hands, and. Um, with an electronic hand uh-huh and and i would and i had that dream maybe 10 or 15 times i'd wake up in a cold sweat huh? because they were they were going to give they were giving me an electronic brain it was going to be my control mechanism that these people were were uh, were, in, were installing in okay and and the idea of losing my right hand, first of all, just freaked me completely out. But the idea of having a brain in my hand, anyway, it was just a terrible dream. I had it over and over again, and I so I started, I was, I was obviously disturbed about something, and I started reading, I started reading uh, uh, Marshall McLuhan, and I started reading Jacques Ellul. And I started reading, then I got into Teilhard de Chardin, and then I started studying all these guys. I got into Postman. Do you remember Neil Postman, uh, Amusing Ourselves? to death. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember this guy? No. He's got a, a great book I'll recommend to everybody great. called Technopoly. Okay. Technopoly. When did that come out? By, by Neil Postman, probably 1980s, 70s, uh -huh. I don't know. Long time. Yeah. This has been happening for a long time. Right. All, everything that's happening now to the mass culture and we're seeing it it started you know this thing started in 1904 ivan pavlov yeah was a russian scientist who was studying behavioral modification yeah if you'll remember pavlov's dog pavlov's dog he you know the rats in the maze yep. that they would move around by electronic impulses and right. all that which later became a <clears throat> A metaphor for business being in the business capital business world of the rat race yeah well now we actually literally it's now gone from the experiment with the rats in the maze to we are now the rats in the maze and the experiments being conducted on all of us by very few people yeah very few people so now i'm not going to be a conspiracy theorist because you know the, all you know all of that is gone all its conspiracies and information and all that that's none of that means anything anymore so this is why i'm positive okay <clears throat> because i believe as i was saying earlier human beings sang to each other yeah for thousands of years before we innovated the technology of language right and that we innovated language in order to be able to keep secrets from each other. Uh -huh. that language was was innovated for non-communication, not for communication. Because we had perfectly good communication as human beings, even better communication when we sang to each other. Because it was all tone, and we understood tone. And it was connected to feelings. Yeah, and and we still understand tone yes. when we hear it. But and we still understand music when we hear it. Right. And music is still the universal language, right? Because all these other languages are 
perversions, really, of music. Yes. <laughs> and the further away we get from the first innovation of language, to from the word to the printed word, yeah. to the digital word, to the to the satellite word, you're yes. getting so far away from the human being and from tone. The reason the and you know I know I sound like an old mad uncle or something, <laughs> but the reason that there are you're our favorite. The reason there are emoticons and those kinds of things online is because the technology itself is designed not to be positive or negative. That's why truth and fiction means nothing online. There's nothing true or false. It's all equal. It's all just moving information fast. That's all the technology was done to do, to move information efficiently or so fast that people couldn't Get, get grab it and break code so that it can things. sell you something and so that it, you That's can what's be being sold used you can be sold your information yeah well so that your information can be sold right. yes because there's a new form of capitalism that's emerged called surveillance capitalism where all of the state is being collected whereas they took our music mm-hmm. and and just ripped it away from us and made billions of dollars from it you know, two or three billion dollars a year go right out of the United States economy to East Europe and Russia, right out of the music world of just m- money that siphoned off over there. Had no idea. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, at any rate, they stole all our stuff first. They destroyed journalism next because they have this idea. The idea, the large idea, is that there are people who think, who prefer computational governance over human governance. This is what's actually going on. There are people that want us to be governed computationally, which, by the way, and these are our Silicon Valley moguls, and I want to say that sort of centralization is exactly what communism was. If you watch, there's a great Adam Curtis's new documentary is called Trauma Zone, and I recommend that highly to everyone, too. Where can Adam we see Curtis, that? I guess you have to see it on YouTube because... Uh-huh. Uh, because he's the BBC documentarian, okay. but his stuff isn't distributed over here because of, I think, music rights or something. At any rate, I think you can see it on YouTube. <clears throat> he, you know, it's about how it's about what happened in Russia from the collapse of both communism and capitalism and what it turned into and how that happened. It's fascinating. But what the communists did, what happened was. You know, they said, we're going to take all this data on all of these people, on all the industry and everybody. We're going to get all this information. We're going to organize it in such a way as everybody will have everything they need, which sounded like a great idea that's centralized organization of the society, except it went completely haywire and everything was wrong and people were stealing everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, anywhere somebody could grab something, they would grab it because they didn't have running water in their bathrooms yeah. and things like this. You know, they were, so Gorbachev came in and uh, and instituted these uh, these uh, what do you call them? Like uh, consort not consortiums. What do you call those things? Like they have food. Uh, co-ops co-ops yeah he and he instituted these cooperatives yeah that would be that would be capitalist cooperatives within the communist system and that's when all the money just went flying out of russia into these oligarchs accounts 
all over the world, you know. Hmm. What does that sound like? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what's happening yes. here. We're trying to centralize yes. all this information yes. and all this money's going. It's the, it's the exact. And the funny thing is that the the people on the right have been uh, have been presented with this idea that uh, that Russia's a better place than here. I know, and and it kind of blows my mind that yep. suddenly Russia's a better place yes. here. I, you know, I don't, and we're slowly turning into them. Yeah, the, the more better, rights they want to take away, and the more they want to control what's taught and what's not uh, yeah. allowed. Yeah, it's more like Russia than we want to admit. David, David, pay attention. At all times, we're driven by the search for better, right? But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't the search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates and fast. Ditch the busy work, people. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Indeed is such a positive word. I love saying it. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Naked Lunch will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Naked Lunch. Just go to Indeed.com slash Naked Lunch right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Naked Lunch. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You, you need, need Indeed! Indeed! I don't know, baby, where we stand. Where's the future that we planned so long ago? I don't know. I'll recommend the movie, I don't know if you've seen, a film called Importing... Uh, exporting Raymond, right? Yes. Uh, have you, which is about taking uh, Raymond to Russia. I don't know if you've seen that. No, I haven't. Uh, but a movie you know about that we don't know about that I have to ask you about because it's another, you came up on our podcast when we had Jeff Bridges not that long ago. And we talked a lot about you and all of our love for you. <laughs> but the idea of you guys, the people you must have met, the experience of being on what history recorded for a period as one of the biggest bombs of all time heaven's gate yeah can you tell us what was it what did you learn and how did being part of that movie along with rolling thunder those are things if i could go back in time i would love to spend time on the set of uh heaven's gate what was that like for you how did it change your life oh it, <clears throat> that was amazing we went up there for two weeks or something to film a scene and ended up being up there for six months <laughs> and john hurt who was one of our very best actors yes and i became great friends and hung out a lot and he uh he he actually we went to see 
alien in the theater up there. It was playing in Kalispell, Montana, and he yeah. and I went. And we were the only two people in the theater <laughs> the day it the day it opened in Kalispell. Wow. And for those listeners who don't know, he was an alien. Uh, the, he was the first. An alien came out of his stomach, and, and uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> and I was sitting next and to him. And it's the first time he has seen it's it. It's the first time he had seen it. Oh I was my sitting God. next to him. I looked yeah. at him when it happened. I was horrified. And he turned he turned ghostly white. And then we walked out of the theater. He said, that was not the movie we made. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, we, they certainly filmed with something. practical effects. Something, yeah. The chest buster coming out of him. Yeah, yeah. They, I don't know. What did he expect I don't was know going what, to yeah. be on the screen? I have no idea what he thought was happening. Maybe, a musical? You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He was, By he the was way, in... <laughs> some great music in Heaven's Gate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, right. in Heaven's Gate, yes. yes. No, we were talking about oh, an alien. alien. Yeah, yeah. But tell us about, I mean, oh. Heaven's Gate seems like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, no limits on the guy who made the deer hunter. Do whatever you want. Well, yeah, he had a Sikorsky. I think he was taking a lot of desoxin or something like that. Didn't he denude a forest for because he wanted a field over there? Oh, maybe he did. Yeah, oh, he God. did. Yeah, I think maybe he did do that. It was pretty. It was pretty mad. Radical. <clears throat> I, there's some stories that aren't very nice that I could tell. <laughs> It was also viewed, though, as the end of, again, like we're talking about technology. Wasn't that sort of the end of the studio system? Well, uh, yeah. It, uh, of that studio. <laughs> yeah, of that, yeah, of United Artists. That was, yeah. I mean. that it, there, there was a whole thing going on, too, with that was being sold, and there were corporate, you know, remember yeah. there was Tri? Yes, TriStar. TriStar, something yeah, yeah. up in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. There, at, at any rate, that whole thing was... Uh, just one, one in a long line of fiascos that I've gotten to be part of. <laughs> but you got but a front of, row seat to, yeah. you Wasn't know, it kind of great Titanic. though also? Yeah. When I went back to the movie, it's also beautiful beyond there's, belief. There's nothing wrong with fiascos. <laughs> that's, a, no. that's a funny, you should write a book. <laughs> no, but no, it was, you know, Isabel Huppert was in it. She was amazing. Oh, a great cast. Amazing. Although, yeah. if you looked at it on paper, you're like, this must be a great movie. It, it's a pretty good, I think it's a pretty great movie, actually. Yeah. I think it got, I think it got really... Uh, well, I know. I remember one line. Vincent Canby said the, it was the most like, notorious review of all he, time. He said it was like a forced march through your own living room for four hours. Oh God, it yeah. was really rugged. Yeah, and I wasn't at the screening, but the <clears throat> debut or the opening or whatever in New York. But apparently, there was this, there was an intermission because it, it was considered long. What was it? Four hours? I or think so? it was f close to four hours. Yeah. And there was an intermission, and what happened just before the intermission, there was this amazing shot where a train, uh, there's a train and a bunch of cavalry get off the train, and they start riding off in the distance, and then the train pulls out and the whole fil uh, whole uh, screen films with, fills with smoke, and then when the smoke clears, the cavalry's just gone. And the audience all laughed, apparently. It, mm. and, that's, and then it was the end of the first the first act or whatever and the and at the intermission the audience all laughed at that shot because yeah and i think there there is you know there's a thing that i've experienced called solipsism do you know this concept you know uh 
if you've been right once, you think you're always right. This kind of huh. thing. So, uh -huh. so uh, uh, I think there was I think there was some solipsism among the uh, in that production of, you know, we're. Uh, I think they missed the fact that that was kind of weird that the cavalry was gone or something. But at of any rate, better would have been just to leave with the smoke on the screen of course guess. but wasn't the fiasco the reason you end up becoming like oscar winning and working with like bridges jeff bridges that was the beginning of your connection with him wasn't yeah, it yeah is that part of the turning point of well, your Roll life in film rolling thunder was a fiasco too you know <laughs> uh. yeah but yeah no, I, I had done i had gotten interested in film earlier because i had done music for uh it, when we were kids, when I was 20 or something, uh, we had done music for the opening of the Kimball Art Museum. There was yeah. a film about that, and I did a score for it. And it was really putting music to image was really thrilling. There was yeah. something about connecting to it and what happened to the image and how you could change it and move things around that was thrilling to me. So I was always interested in that, and I was always noticing music in movies. But yeah, that's where... That's the first time we did some kind of large scale music. From I think I'd done a score before then. No, did you I, had? Did you yeah. love the like in Heaven's Gate as a writer and pr uh, producer of music for, or, or score? Did you love that you had this luxury of time? To well, yeah, the I mean, really, we we were only working with a couple of things at the time, which was some Ukrainian folk songs that became that were extrapolated into the whole score. Yeah. Basically, as I remember it, I may be wrong, but I, f I think I found some Ukrainian folk song that was really beautiful that became the main theme of the thing. Great. Am I wrong about that? I'll, I'll ask David Mansfield, who actually yeah. ended up doing the whole score. Uh -huh. Your alpha band uh, yeah. brother. Yeah, Do you I have a favorite him. movie project? God, well, The Big Lebowski's oh, hard to best. beat. And, oh, you know... Oh, brother, oh, brother we're right Arthur. Now. You know, we're, and Lou and Dave, everything. Yeah, Lou and Davis. The, the Cohen brothers. I just love the. You know, I haven't tried to pursue a like a movie career because I. They love come to you. Well, I love working with those guys, and and then that's a standard that I don't want to do anything that would let them down. If you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. I feel that way about Bob too. In a way, I don't want to do anything that would let him down. You're not letting any. Who who are you letting down? Has anyone said you let me down? I doubt it. No, only myself. <laughs> Did His we answer critic. the question why you're positive now? Because because <clears throat> I think I believe that through listening that I believe that since all information has become disinformation, I think people are beginning to go. I hear more and more all the time. I don't know. I don't trust anything. I don't know who to believe. I don't yes. know what's going on. You know, well, there's because there's nothing to believe. And there's a there's a wonderful there's a wonderful uh, website called the Convivial Society. And I recommend that to you. And he's got a really brilliant uh, series of essays right now on what has happened to language in the digital age and how we overcome it and his and he's he's very much about conviviality and and hospitality and us include you know opening to each other so i believe that this is it's in in the same way that the pandemic 
forced us out of our normal routines yeah. into an, a, another sense of what's important. I mean, like it's I never true. looked. I, never I saw. Looked, I saw like these hidden blessings. Everywhere, I mean, if, right? if, unless tragedy touched your family, and of course, which happened, yeah, which and, happened. But yeah. you know, my kids were in their twenties. They don't really want to be with mom and dad yeah. every night, yeah. but they kind of had mm -hmm. to be. Yeah. And now I think we're closer than ever because we were in this concentrated time right. where we had to band together. And we, and you know, we're, we've all been in the rat race. You yes. Know? We've all been pulled along by mass culture and mass consumerism and to, told what to be good. First of all, to be a million people or 10 billion people liking what you do doesn't make it good. That's but, for sure. But, but, but we're, but we're conditioned in the, in the, tenants in the paradigms of mass culture we're so heavily conditioned to consume that we think of things in terms of charts and ratings success and success yeah. and all that which is all meaningless there's only one judge which is the clock you know time will tell so every so every so what i'm doing now i'm doing for 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 just nothing. I'm just doing it for the universe at this point. You know? Well, I, I always say, we talk about this a lot, that the problem with the world is short-term goals yeah. in every department. Yeah, that's In a every good point. department. It's a great if point. You, if you get it now and say, screw later, well, there is no later then. Right, that's the problem. And, and so you're, I, what I'm hearing is that you're doing legacy stuff yeah you want and this is what you want to leave behind that's right i'm doing all of that yeah. and we can talk about the stuff yeah. i've done with dylan recently yes tell us to get to the, i will but yeah. I, to get to the end of your your the that so in the same in the same way there were hidden blessings even though there were horrific tragedies yes. millions of people died yes. in this country alone that's right there were hidden blessings all over the place in this in this decoupling from mass culture and from uh -huh. mass consumerism that we've all that we've all uh, experienced uh there are hidden blessings in this assault by the machines and that i believe we're going to have to we're going to have to survive we're going to have to start listening to each other rather than talking to each other i believe and i think we're going to have to start listening to tone and i think we're going to have to start singing to each other so to speak becoming right. more human more as the assault on yes. humanity happens. becoming yes. more human because here's what the machines don't have they don't have faith they don't have intuition they don't have hope they don't have heart soul i mean soul and we can keep going we can yeah. keep going the things that make us human sense of humor <laughs> No, yeah right. right at the top right that's at my top yeah me too i mean that's what that's yeah that's, that's what that's what makes just most human I yeah because because the because humor is always the thing that you didn't expect to happen it's yeah always, you know yeah so uh, so i believe i believe we'll find more commonality and among all of us i believe that the issues we're seeing now around race are going to, I believe, are going to evaporate. Uh, I Even believe, as the, our leaders try to drive us against each I, other for I, their I, own power? Yeah, because I, just because they're doing, not, not we'll even see though, through because they're doing that. Yeah. 
you think know, more people will see through it? I think we're one. I think it's clear that we're one race. That the human race is a race. That there aren't different races. That was all pseudoscience from the 1700s. You know, this idea of different races. That, that there weren't there. There was no concept of race until really the 1700s. There was no racism until the Inquisition. That was the beginning of racism. You know, hmm. so it's not something that's part of humanity. It's some. It's something that's been put on you it's a story that we've all been told and all these stories are falling apart that's what we see happening everywhere <clears throat> and some people are bothered by it i'm i well, aren't I, you afraid that it's going to get worse before it gets better it, it very it it probably will yeah it probably will we're dying just in time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well but even the music like you talked about the old brother uh the, the movie and the soundtrack in particular, we, one of the kind moments where, you know, I've been fortunate, like as a journalist to be around you with Jacob Dylan and the Wallflowers and with Counting Crows at different times. But one of the nicest times was you involved me when you did, it was a big anniversary of the O Brothers soundtrack. And there was a radio special and you had me work with you on that. But that when we were listening to that music, even then, and that's now a few years ago of that anniversary, mm, right. the truth is that was music that the, the sort of hyper-commercialism of music that I grew up with, Michael Jackson counting, trying to beat Thriller. Try, it was yeah, all right. about sales. Yeah. Garth right. Brooks, who, you know, you know yeah. uh, a significant artist, but when it becomes about the numbers, it gets crazy sometimes. Yeah. And in your case, with the Old Brother soundtrack, it, it exactly like the way music has to be felt, you found a way to make people feel music that was from a time before all of that and really connect with people. And that's why there's, and there's the festivals. Roots, the roots of everything. Right. And there are bands and, I and was festivals not, that I, grew up because yeah, of that. I did not know that music. I was, you know, a Jewish kid from New York. Why would I know bluegrass? And yeah. and here that's It's called Jewgrass originally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when that when that came out, I told you this when we filmed our episode last year here in Nashville of of my little show, but it had a profound impact on me the purity of that oh, the beautiful so sound of it yeah. the the i i just you know i'm now a a fan not just of bluegrass but that leads to country yeah. that leads to lake street dive you've you, got it man. you know you found a lot of stuff i sure that, did down that because of you wow that's my pleasure come you know. on that's I'm, <laughs> Lou, i know Lou i'm Davis. not the only one i remember one. you talking yeah. about music you discovered so that's much right. music through yes. through through t-bone yeah well, that's all. That's been nothing but fun. But what? But what were you saying about? Uh, oh, I can't remember. Well, but with Oh Brother, I just was. Oh. I became aware of how much that cut through, and that music is part of the solution. Real music is always it, part of the solution. Yeah, it it really. I I believe it is, if not part of the solution, maybe the solution. You know, the the the. Uh, the the if we can find music in each other's lives right you now that's bigger than football you know the, the wait thing, now you're talking crazy <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. soccer or football we have to distinguish no but but people talk about these sport sporting events as things that bring communities together right but those things they do bring communities together but there's music just, food yeah laughs yeah, laugh. This yeah. is this is this is the, the stuff. The stuff of life that yeah. we that we actually live for. Yeah, that's right. We get through the day to get to those moments yeah. when we get a break to eat. 
yeah. when we get a break to take a walk and listen to music, right? To laugh yeah. with each other. That's everything. Yeah. And and look at you can go online and see all the amazing things people are able to do today and how funny people are. There's you know, it's a are people not isn't like if you go to Twitter, people are funny as hell. People they say, sure are. They do say crazy funny they things do. all they day do. long. I mean, it's just wild. It's also a complete cesspool of nonsense. <laughs> well, but... there's good and bad everything, right? Yeah. So, so the bad humor, yeah, is is the stuff that that uh, marginalizes others. That yeah, that's that's yeah, exclusive. Right. I'm great. Right. That guy's. You yeah, know, right. stupid or fat yeah, or ugly or whatever. You know, yeah. that's juvenile. Or all of and, those. And we have to get past that stuff yeah. to be inclusive. Yeah, that's right. And when you make a, a beautiful song, it's inclusive. Well, I'm. You're you're bringing people in. That's you're not keeping them out. Well, see, that's like Springsteen's a genius at that. Come on, isn't he? he, isn't he yeah, you saw, worked with him. You yeah, worked on the, the black, black and white, and white show, night. Yeah. right, I, with yes, Roy Orbison. Indeed. Yes, indeed. I wanted to say, I saw Elton play at Dodger Stadium a few months ago. My favorite. And he walked out to the front of the stage and yeah. he opened his arms. And he, it was like he was holding 50,000 people in his arms. You know, Such it's just a, this, a warm like, performer. Just, how, a, just yeah. You know, how do you do that? I don't even, you know, I'm well, not a, I, don't, I hate performing. But to see somebody who's that open and that willing to, to be applauded. Listen, he's not just a kind of showy superstar no. there's when if you've ever been lucky enough to see him just sit at the piano and oh, yeah. play oh, no. this is a super talent no he's, he's an unbelievable writer of course and uh the dexterity in his, in his piano playing and the gorgeous you know comes from classical training right i mean yeah, all yeah. this knowledge yeah. we just see him you know with the funny glasses and funny outfit oh, no yeah. oh, he's no, not but, just but tebow made a record that yeah. shows his generosity of spirit yes. that that really in a really powerful way because i was at dodger stadium i was there the night before the last show and then i went to phil's house and watched the last show on tv <laughs> but uh er, years earlier i was so moved because if you've ever met elton john i've had a pleasure of interviewing him his passion in it, as great an artist as he is he's also still one of the biggest music fans you'll ever meet and he went back with t-bone to go back to a guy who meant a lot to him leon russell yeah. at a very rough stage in his life and career and but made kind of at magic. the end of his life right leon's life he gave him he gave him you you and yeah. the two of you well, really that's a gave beautiful him album. that people moment. haven't heard that yeah i love that record gotta hear that record it's love, really good. I love Diving Board too. The other the record I made was a very personal kind of parlor record with Elton. Yes. Yeah. That I wanted it to be more like that experience of just sitting listening to him play piano. He's right. not the just Leon some, Russell. Please, everyone, go back if you're going to stream and not pay for music, <laughs> particularly stream good stuff. You yes. know, listen to the Union. Is it with Leon Russell yeah, and Elton John, and then the Diving Board? And yeah, then what the were you going to say about Bruce? About what would I about, about working Bruce? about with Bruce Springsteen? You were just about God, to say yeah, something. Like, I, he, you know, generosity is the hallmark of an artist. I would say, and he is the soul of generosity. You know, Bruce Springsteen is. I you know, I don't even. I I saw his Broadway show. Me too. You yeah. know, the, the 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 thing that he put the. God, I don't know. I just I hold him in the highest regard. I would Me say too. I don't I don't even know how to describe what he does other than. By the way, he's magnificent. Great, he is magnificent. He's in great voice right now too. He is at yes, seventy five. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's wild. Yes. Well, you know what? You're supposed to get better as you get older. 
and you can, you know, and he's doing it and, and Bob's doing it. Amazing. You know, well, how now creatively with Bob, what, where are you two at? Because you've had well, this long connection. Uh, so, you know, um, uh, a year ago, a couple of years, a year and a half ago or something, we went in and recorded six songs mm -hmm. very carefully uh, for this new, this new disc we have innovated that um, it's a bit of a, shall I tell you this story? You want to hear not? about this? Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> as a response to mass culture and the ripping away of our, of our stuff, yeah. Bob and I decided to make six songs that we would just put on this new technology uh, that I and some friends have innovated. <clears throat> and so several years ago, we realized that since we started developing digital technology, we stopped developing analog technology, and we'd had 30-some-odd years of scientific advances to go back and readdress analog technology. Right. So we said, what is the best-sounding medium that has ever existed for listening to music? And I think all people who've experienced it all the hi-fi everybody says that acetates are the best sounding medium what an acetate is it's the master disc that's made that all the other discs are made from right and it's cut it's a it's an aluminum disc that has nitrocellulose painted on it extremely flat it's an extremely flat nitrocellulose coating which is very soft and so that a groove can be cut into it uh -huh. and a, and it it's incredibly incredibly accurate it's an incredibly fine sounding cut because of its softness and everything so the exact they got the, they got this right in 1948 or whenever wow. it started so or 30s maybe it probably started in the 30s at any rate <laughs> the problem with acetates is they're too they're soft and uh, gravity pressing the needle into the groove creates friction, which creates heat, which melts the acetate. So you can only play it once. What? So what happens when you're making a record? The first thing you make is an acetate, and then you yeah. listen to it. Yes. And if yeah. you like it, you make another one just like it, because even just playing it once to listen to it degrades it. it. Yeah. So once you have it at the specifications you like, you make another one, and that becomes the m master of all the other discs that are made. Yeah. But it's destroyed in that process. Yes. So we we looked for a way that we could, is, was there a way we could protect an acetate so that it, it wouldn't be destroyed, playing it, so yes. that it wouldn't degrade? And we looked at the this stuff on the iPhone, this is called Gorilla Glass, and it's yes. an ionic deposition on a piece of glass that makes it stronger. Yes. It's a very thin coating of uh -huh. something. It's also used on the space station, and um, it's uh, to coat parts that are in the direct sun and would be affected by the heat, so they coat it to protect it from sure. heat. So we thought, why don't we do that to an acetate and see what happens? Uh -huh. And wildly, after, after experimenting for a number of years, we found a formula that actually protects, it future-proofs the acetate. So we can play, we can create an acetate, cut it, and we so far we've played them thousands of times. And not only do they not degrade, but they're as silent, they actually, it sounds crazy to say it, but they actually get cleaner as you play them. 
because uh, the needle pressing needle going through the groove cleans it i guess i don't know but at any rate i can play you a presentation where you can hear acetates that have been played a thousand times and they're as quiet as i mean you play an album a vinyl album a thousand times and it goes <laughs> right, you know, right right this is like a cd there's no there's no noise at all so you hear and I can play you. I can play you a cut later if you want to hear. If how, you want to hear any of these, this? I'll play and them you for and you. And Bob have sort of conspired to work together on this. Yeah, but yeah. But how does and a regular so, person get their hands on this well, kind of technology? Well, okay. So the, we we're selling them one of one. We're selling one song on one disc, and we auctioned the first one at Christie's last year. Oh, for, you told me about this for last a year. Million, for a million eight hundred thousand dollars. But, it's because we wanted to revalue music because yes. music, the value of music has been commoditized to yeah. zero at this point. So, so uh, like we if, if, to, if uh, a streaming service gets your song, let's say, uh -huh. you get what from that? Point zero, 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 you know, I don't know, you know, you get billions of streams and it yeah. means something, but... But I'm not in the mass, I've, I haven't been in the mass culture game really my whole life as an artist. I've done other things that have... No, no, I know you haven't, but I'm just saying for, for the artist. Okay. They get a fraction of a penny. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so at any rate, we decided to see, to test the market to see what the value of a piece of music, one piece of music on one disc was. And so far, the value is $1,800,000. We're doing another... If it's with, the right... Artist. Yeah, right. But what but what I hope to do, what we're doing is we're we're exploring uh music space in the fine arts market so that music artists can have another arrow in their quivers. So that in a program when they're releasing a new record, yeah, one piece one part of the program can be a one of one that they can sell to one of their patrons for X amount of dollars, they might be able to sell one piece that yes. would finance their whole year. Got it. And, then, but, and they're still releasing music to Yeah, to regular, the general public. Yes, now, yes. What, I th what I think will probably happen with yeah. these Dylan things yeah. is I think there'll be installations in museums where people will go in. There'll be an a soundproof room with great speakers that you can go in and you'll be able to listen to Because it. that is what great art in a weird way, that makes a lot more sense than what we have right now. Yeah. In that, like, I would travel to hear a new Dylan recording by T-Bone. Well, if you could hear it sounding the way you heard that music in there rather yes. than over a phone, wouldn't that, wouldn't that experience have more value to you? I'll never forget it. See, that's what I mean. When you actually hear how music sounds, recorded music sounds, yeah. we're so used to this incredibly degraded signal that they send out to us now. People don't even know what they've lost. And that, What is high-res lossless? Is that anything? It's, you know, it's better than nothing, you know. The, one of the it's 20% better than nothing. Yeah, Joel... Joel Cohen says that, you know, the problem with film is it's already too high resolution. That's why we use filters and smoke and all the they stuff the we grain, use. They want the grain. They want the... Yeah, to diffuse it. It's supposed to look better. Yeah when, you get, yeah. yeah, when you get into high definition, yeah. Yeah. the more it gets to high definition, every, all the atmosphere disappears. Yeah, if and you've you ever see, seen anything at 60 frames a second, yeah. it's, it's unwatchable. Yeah, you don't want it, yeah. you know. So, so... 
that's what's happened with digital. You know, it's gotten to that. It's not. It's not the same feeling listening to music anymore. Is for for people who only listen on digital. That's why vinyl is making such a strong comeback because it feels better to listen to it. It's warmer. It's it's you it's just a feel lot it. of things. I think it is yeah. the grooves, like actual yeah. grooves. Yeah, it, they went. The, it, there used to be the saying, "It's in the grooves." With yeah. the music. <laughs> yeah. that's what executives who yeah. were either full of shit or not would tell you. <laughs> but it literally is in the grooves. It's in yeah. that feel. Yeah. But I want to say that, like when Black and White Night, like to prove that mass market stuff can mean something, because you loved Roy Orbison and you understood Roy Orbison, and those artists came together and for I the right reason. And I wanted to be Roy Orbison too. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but. But I will say that, so did like, Bruce, right? Yeah. But of that that show, uh, for example, like I have a father in law who's an allergist, who's you know we don't have that much musical common ground. But for I've been married to his daughter for twenty nine years. <laughs> we watch that together all the time, and he always goes. He always asks me, "Who's that guy?" Like the only guy he doesn't know is always Jackson Brown or whatever. <laughs> but but it's always like the fact that you made something from the heart real with yeah. a real artist it does make a difference well when that it does it when that came out it was on well hbo was a boxing channel do you remember that it was home box office for, for it was that's right they, they wanted it was like closed circuit yeah yeah and so this came out on was it z channel or something it was an offshoot of hbo or was it cinemax, cinemax maybe cinemax it might yeah. Have been cinemax yes yeah, it came off on yeah, yeah. It came out on some off hbo yeah. brand and <laughs> And they didn't know what to do with it, and who was Roy Orbison? Nobody knows Roy Orbison, you know all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And and all these years later, how many years later? Thirty some odd years yeah. later, something like that. I, as I understand it, it's the most viewed cons concert in history. Yes, I believe it's because, always on HBO Max. Because you can it's get it, yeah, and, and you can and and it, and uh, uh, public TV has shown it for decades yes. and given the tape away as a premium for people uh -huh. subscribing. So right. it's, it's just, the, the they tapes. took that money and put Phil on television. And that's why he had a show <laughs> that you could be on the national episode. Uh, listen, this is, I think this is part one of a multi-part series with this genius named T-Bone. Oh, I, I just love you. I'm just can, so happy to see you. We can talk any, yeah. all the time. This Great. is the problem. We, we can never stop. <laughs> but I know you, you've, got, you've got real people coming in here to, yeah. to work today. Well, and I want to play you these Dylan things. You want to hear them? Of course. Okay, let's go. All right. Uh, T-Bone Burnett, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thunderous applause from us, too. <laughs> We can dub that in. Yeah. <laughs> Naked Lunch is a podcast by Phil Rosenthal and David Wilde. Theme song and music by Brad Paisley. Produced by Will Sterling. Executive produced by Phil Rosenthal, David Wilde, and Josephine Marcharana. Engineering support by Brendan Burns. And our consulting journalist is Pamela Challen. If you enjoyed the show, share it with a friend. But if you can't take my word for it, take Phil's. And don't forget to leave a good rating and review. We like five stars, you know. Thanks for listening to Naked Lunch, a Lucky Bastards and Stitcher production.